A spike in workplace injuries at Amazon, another call to end immigration detention in provincial prisons, another liberal's wrist slapped by the ethics commissioner, asylum seekers who enter at Quebec's Roxham Road are being sent outside of Quebec, and protests in Colombia in support of left-wing reforms. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. This morning, we start with Amazon and its Ontario facilities. Data from the WSIB shows that Amazon Canada Fulfillment Services had a sharp increase in injuries since the start of the pandemic. According to Ontario's insurance board, claims went from 570 in 2020 up to 1,330 in 2022. 62% of these injuries were sprains and strains, and 22% were back injuries, reported Mitchell Thompson with Press Progress. Over the course of the pandemic, Amazon paid injured workers in Ontario $8.5 million in injury claims. The number was $1.4 million in 2020 and quadrupled by 2022 to $4.4 million. Now, before you think that these claims are directly related to COVID, WSIB says only 12 of the claims are related to the virus. Maureen Lynch-Vogel from Global Public Relations and Media Relations for Amazon said that her company could not, quote, fully fact check, unquote, the WSIB data. This is a hilarious comment because WSIB claims are WSIB claims. There's nothing to fact check. They're an official agency. When a worker is injured, they file a claim with the insurance board. Sometimes the company does it on their behalf. Their claim can be rejected or accepted. The numbers reported by Thompson are accepted claims, which is really an undercount for total injuries as many people don't have the chance to have their claims evaluated for various reasons. Thompson put Lynch Vogel's comments to David Newberry at the Injured Workers Community Legal Clinic, and he said that these numbers are near certainly underestimates because, quote, for example, we know that Amazon objects to most or all injury claims that their staff file with the compensation board, something that Ontario's compensation system financially incentivizes them to do, which likely artificially deflates the injury numbers. Next, another call has been made to end holding immigration detainees in provincial prisons. This time, it's coming from jurors who are serving for an inquest into the death of Abdurrahman Ibrahim Hassan. Hassan was detained at the Central East Correctional Center in Lindsay, Ontario. You will remember the name of this detention center from previous Daily News episodes. It was the location where Suleiman Fakiri died after probably having been beaten to death and where five inmates died from October 2018 to April 2019 from overdose deaths. Those deaths were subject to an inquiry that started last November. The details of Fakiri's death are important to note in this situation as they bear some resemblance to what happened to Hassan. In 2016, Fakiri was placed in solitary confinement. He had schizophrenia and was waiting to be transferred to a health facility for a mental health assessment. Global News reported that, quote, he got into an altercation with multiple guards and sustained more than 50 injuries. He was pronounced dead on December 15, 2016, unquote. 
no one has been arrested in connection with Fakiri's death. Fakiri was handcuffed face down and he was restrained in a dangerous manner that was contrary to provincial restraint training guidelines. Now back to Hassan. Hassan came to Canada from Somalia in 1992. Over the years, he had several run-ins with the law, but after he served his last jail sentence, he was put into Canada Border Services custody in 2012. On June 3rd, 2015, Hassan was found dead. He had been in solitary confinement and was having seizures. Two paid duty officers, Alicia McGriskin and Andy Eberhardt, struggled with Hassan in his bed. That's how it gets reported. And a dangerous restraint was used on him where his mouth and nose was covered. The Toronto Star's Nicholas Kung reports that while the cause of death was inconclusive, Hassan died from, quote, sudden death during struggle slash restraint with a towel placed on the mouth under the nose in the setting of schizophrenia and hypertensive heart disease, unquote. The Ontario Provincial Police Association released a statement that said, quote, it is important to recognize and acknowledge that during this incident, P.C. Eberhardt and Constable McGriskin conducted themselves in the best traditions of the OPP and Peterborough Police Services, and Ontarians can be thankful for their service. I added that in there because I just think it is so disgusting and horrifying, and uh, this organization needs to be disbanded. <laughs> like, it, There's no question about that. The jurors who reviewed the case did not decide to lay charges against the police officers who did this to Hassan, but they did make 53 recommendations to improve the conditions that people are subject to when held by CBSA. The main call is for immigration detention in prisons to be ended. They also call for collecting better data, ensuring that people with mental illness have access to treatment and alternatives to detention, and a new policy related to restraints. If ending immigration detention in provincial prisons was adopted, it would place Ontario on par with British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, and Nova Scotia, who have all promised to end the practice too. The jury did not recommend shutting down the Lindsay Jail completely. Now to federal news. The Liberal MP for the riding of Hall Almer has violated the Federal Conflict of Interest Act. Greg Fergus wrote a letter of support for TV Channel's bid to get mandatory carriage from the CRTC. The station, Natif Inc., is an international French broadcaster that promised to ensure that more black Canadians would be represented on TV. Fergus's error? Well, because he's Justin Trudeau's parliamentary secretary, he's not allowed to write letters of support. While any MP is normally allowed, the parliamentary secretaries or cabinet ministers have been forbidden. This is the latest in a string of conflicts that have prompted Mario Dion, the Conflict of Interest and Ethics Commissioner, to call for all federal ministers and parliamentary secretaries to report to Dion's office for training. In an article for CBC written by Peter Zimonich, Dion is quoted as saying, Offers to provide training and educational sessions on a variety of topics have been offered to all federal parties and to regulatees. Yet we continue to see a succession of mistakes that are largely attributable to the inability to recognize the need to seek consultation. Fergus isn't a new MP. The fact that he's been around long enough that he should have known this would have been a conflict indicates to Dion that there hasn't been enough information or training being done with higher level MPs. Trudeau violated the act when he took a trip to a private island owned by the Aga Khan and when he pressured Jody Wilson-Raybould to give SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement. He also broke the conflict of interest rules when he wore sunglasses that were given to him and he didn't report the gift. Fergus also joins a growing list of liberal MPs who've been found to violate the act as well. Bill Morneau, Yasmin Ratansi, Mary Ng, and Ahmed Hussain. 
they've all been slapped on the wrist for violating the Conflict of Interest Act. It does seem that there's a lack of leadership coming from the prime minister's office as it would be his job to ensure that his ministers and parliamentary secretaries understand the rules. Makes sense why Zion is expressing a bit of frustration, though it also could just be because he's finished with his job in a couple of weeks. I have one more piece of national news for you this morning, but we'll start at the National Assembly in Quebec City. Immigration Minister Christine Frechette announced yesterday that of the 380 people who crossed into Canada this past weekend from Roxham Road, only eight stayed in Quebec. The people who left the province were transferred immediately to Ontario. This news was first broken by Radio-Canada. It was broken when Frechette told reporters after a question period at the legislature that, quote, the federal government has indicated that since Saturday, asylum seekers who've been arriving in Quebec are being redirected towards other provinces, with a few exceptions. We are obviously very happy because it shows that we can get results. I don't have specifics on the logistics of the situation. We hope that the situation is maintained and this will be a new approach towards border management. Unquote. I'm now quoting from the Montreal Gazette's article from Phil Otier. In 2022, just over 39,000 people sought asylum at the Roxham Road crossing. The news comes after a lot of attention has been focused on Roxham Road. You'll remember last week, the Daily News headlines included a headline that said from New York City that some people were being given bus tickets that got them close to the Canadian border where they would then continue the rest of the trip by taxi. The Bloc Québécois posted a disgusting meme yesterday saying that Quebec is not an all-inclusive and Roxham Road has been in the news consistently for a couple of days. The news, though, that Canada has been transferring people seeking asylum out of Quebec immediately after they've crossed into the province definitely asks a lot of questions. Now, if there was none of the xenophobic rhetoric around immigration and refugee seekers, we could look at this and say, well, it's a federal program and federal refugee resettlement does require the federal government to place people into places that they'll be able to find work and have access to services. The fact that people enter Canada just go to the closest city isn't an immigration management strategy. However, the other fact that we have a government that has been hostile to immigrants and to refugees, and that now that the federal government is swooping in and resettling people outside of the province to expressed joy of provincial ministers, definitely indicates that we have a much deeper problem. The premier's office released a message that said, quote, Quebec has exceeded its capacity, and this is an important humanitarian issue. Quebec reiterates its demand that the government of Canada negotiate the Canada-United States safe third country agreement and put an end to this untenable situation. Reminder that people are crossing at Roxham Road because they are not allowed to present themselves to an official border crossing and claim refugee status or asylum. This has created an untenable situation, but it is not the case that Quebec could not absorb more people. There are a lot of politics being played here and under all of the politics, both from the Quebec government and the Canadian gov government, is xenophobia and anti-immigrant sentiment. And finally, to Colombia, where thousands of people are in the streets to support proposed economic and social reforms put forward by President Gustavo Petro. His healthcare reforms include more access to healthcare, increased pay for health workers, and new subsidies for poor and elderly Colombians. This is coming from Al Jazeera. 
He also wants to bring in free university education for poor students. Conservative legislators are expected to oppose the legislation. I love that we have positive protesting happening. It's clear that Petro is going to have a struggle as he tries to bring in his progressive reforms and the fact that thousands and thousands of Colombians have taken to the street to support these reforms is really an important part of the process of getting the reforms passed. Al Jazeera quotes a Colombian named Nelson Pereira, who says, quote, we support the proposals for change for life, health, agrarian, pension and education reforms. It is not fair that the poor continue to be subjugated. We need social justice, more equity, that there are no privileges for health services. Those are your headlines for this morning. It is Wednesday. Did I yesterday say it was Thursday? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Sometimes days, you know, they don't matter. But today, it's definitely Wednesday, February 15th. That's Flag Day in parts of Canada. And if you don't know what that is, you can check it out. I'm Nora, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.